Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great interview. Today, I'm speaking with my good friend, Lindsay Pollock, and Lindsay is the best-selling author of multiple books, including... uh, the Remix, which was a huge sensation, and she has a new book out today as I release this March 23rd called Recalculating, Navigating Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. And I had an opportunity to read an advanced copy of this book, and I think it is fantastic. It is written specifically for the changing and crazy times that we are in, uh, and it is really well designed for people who are looking to change their careers or navigating their career through these changing times. Now, this interview today is not necessarily about that book. It's not necessarily about recalculating in your career. It's really more about leading the multi-generational workplace in the virtual world, something that we are all dealing with and has become more and more prescient as things become virtual and people are spread out. Um, So we talk in this interview about a lot of things like how to break up training when going virtual, how the job application process is changing in the new world, how the crisis impacts different generations, how the virtual world impacts different generations, the concept of reverse mentoring, what millennials and Gen Z want and need, including real job opportunities, uh, how millennials and Gen Z are talking about um, the development opportunities that they want, and and they're preferring that over money, Um, why people want genuine support from bosses and colleagues, the concept of of a lifelong colleague, other best practices to engage and develop younger generations, and much, much more. Uh, So you'll want to check this out. And this interview I'm pulling out of our archives. It was recorded for the Talent Development Virtual Summit back in September of 2020. Um, It was a big hit, and I'm looking forward to sharing this interview with you today. And of course, as I mentioned in the past, all of the interviews, all of the content, all of the Q&A sessions from that virtual summit are available inside the Talent Development Think Tank Member Vault. Uh, We also have live weekly calls every Wednesday. Uh, And if you are in talent development, if you like connecting, you like being part of a community, you like learning from others and being able to contribute, you want to come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank community. 
Uh, we are doing a special right now in the month of March where you can join for $1 for your first month just to check it out, join some of our calls, join our Slack group, see if you like it. Uh, if you don't, for some reason, you can leave. Otherwise, you continue at our normal rate. All of the information is on our website, tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. Uh, if you have questions, there's a link right there to book a call with me, or you can send me an email, andy at andystorch.com. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to send you to our interview with Lindsay Pollock, author of the new book, Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work, which is available now on Amazon and many other places. Enjoy. Developing different generations of talent and navigating careers were already a big challenge before the pandemic, and now both have become infinitely more complicated. But there are some great things we can do to develop ourselves and the different and younger generations, and we're going to share those with you today. Hi, I'm Andy Storch, your Summit host, and I'm excited to introduce our next legendary Summit speaker. Lindsay Pollack is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's leading experts on today's multi-generational workplace. She was named to the 2020 Thinkers 50 Radar List, which honors 30 global management thinkers whose work is shaping the future of how organizations are managed and led. Lindsay has published such books as Getting from College to Career and The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workforce, and her next book, Recalculating, Navigating Your Career Through the Changing World of Work, will be published in March 2021. Lindsay, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Andy, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for hosting this summit and doing such a service for the talent development community. I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. I always enjoy our conversations. And we're going to talk today about managing that uh, multi-generational workforce as well as uh, career development and developing our younger career professionals. So you've long been talking about the challenges and best practices for the multi-generational workforce. Uh, we've done interviewed, interviews on that in the past, and of course, you've written a whole book about it. How has that changed in the virtual world? So this is so personal for me, because if you go back 20 years, I'm in New York, I was laid off and had to reinvent myself after 9-11 in New York City. And I see a lot of parallels in that transition. Obviously, technology was very different, and we didn't have the remote work situation. But going through a crisis is something that we have been through before. And one of the things I think about from a multi-generational and a personal perspective is that the time in your career when that happens is really impactful. So 9-11 happened very early in my career and it really shaped how I think about managing my career, how I think about having a backup plan for my backup plan. Um, and I think one of the challenges today is people are experiencing this COVID situation, this virtual work environment at different stages. So I've been thinking a lot about how do we manage young people who have just started and have all the changes associated with that and now have no access to apprenticeship and the personal networks that you develop in person. How do we recreate that? People at the middle of their career are balancing children and elder care and you know work-life integration issues and they're managing remote through that. People in senior levels now have to learn how to manage other people in a completely new way virtually. So I think it's about our individual challenges and opportunities with technology and remote work, but also where it is hitting each, pe each person at the different stage of their career. And it's such an interesting uh, point about how this has, it will completely shape, you know, this generation um, like it did 
for you and us uh, as young professionals uh, in 9-11. And now we are, you know, we'll say we're that early to mid-career, right, working <laughs> on it. Um, but it has changed everything. And you mentioned the idea of the personal connection and the internships and the networking. I know you talk with a lot of people in the younger generation. How has that, how has that shifted and what challenges has it created for them entering the workforce? So it had shifted already, and I want to just tell a quick story about a woman who is um, more of a contemporary of ours. She's um, a Gen Xer, and she talks about very early in her career, she was a lawyer. She used to have to fax contracts. So for those of you who don't know, a fax machine was this device we had, you know, back in the 1980s and 90s. Yep. And she said that part of that, of her developing as a professional, was really related to that awful experience of faxing contracts, because she was standing in the middle of a busy law firm sending these contracts. And if you remember, it was page by page, right? Du, 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 very slowly. But she said, I was standing there in the middle of the office doing this very mundane task. But while I was standing there, I had visibility. People would walk by and see me doing my job. I had networking opportunities because I didn't have a cell phone. They didn't exist. So while I was standing there, I would chit chat with people and I would have these impromptu conversations. She said, in my downtime now, I'm scrolling Instagram. In my downtime then, I read every page of the contract that I sent through, so it helped my learning. And she said, probably most importantly, because offices used to be noisy, I would overhear conversations of people chit-chatting. I'd hear conversations of people on the phone with clients. I'd hear people negotiating. So she said that sort of old-fashioned experience of having to stand and send faxes slowly actually developed her in so many ways that sort of disappeared now that we're sitting at a desk sending emails. So I used to tell that story before COVID that all of that was gone. Now, how do you recreate the visibility, the networking, the apprenticeship, the overhearing, and the learning when we don't have any of those experiences? And so what I think about is how do you then recreate that in a virtual environment? So for example, a lot of my clients are making a point to invite more junior people to Zoom readings, right? To BCC more junior people on emails to say, I want you to see how I'm handling this situation. To actually make time for people to educate themselves about the industry because they're not gonna get it just from being in the environment. And of course, the social piece. You know, how do you create opportunities for chit chat when it has to be much more deliberate? So. I think about all the ways to recreate what used to happen by accident just because we were all in an environment together. Yeah, it requires us to be a lot more intentional. And you're talking about leaders being more intentional with involving the younger professionals because if they don't, then they often can get left out in these situations. And that you know, lends me an opportunity to transition to this, this topic of career development. And I know you're big on helping those early career professionals um, develop and find um, their next career, their next job, especially if there will be so many people in transition. Uh, and I also want to help all of our talent development professionals uh, who are attending this uh, find new ways to develop their talent, find those career opportunities, find that great talent and make sure that they can, you know, attract them, retain them, that sort of thing. What did career development look like before COVID and how do you think that has changed in this virtual world? So I think career development um, was probably on a very strong path at a lot of organizations. It's obviously very culture specific. There was a lot of focus on hybrid learning, right? How do we match the training that needs to be given, the learning that needs to happen to the right method? 
So I think we had seen 20 years ago when I first started out, everything was an all day in-person training, right? Let's just give it a day and, and talk about it. And that's not right, right? I think we've seen a lot of development over time of how we need to match the right message to the right situation. So micro learning, bite-sized learning, videos, in-person, all of that was already happening. Well, now, again, so many of those options are off the table. We have to do everything in a virtual environment. So I'm not as worried about the formal training. I'll give my communication skills for entry-level professionals over Zoom and it's fine. I'm much more worried about the off-the-cuff apprenticeship, as I've talked about, mentoring, networking, all of those. It's not really the training. I guess it's more the opportunity to put the training into action that I'm a little bit more concerned about. So one of the small changes that I've made and I've seen a lot of companies make is what used to be a three-hour in-person training we're now delivering one hour for three weeks so that there's more opportunity to implement it between the trainings. So I think that's one example. Um, one of the things I'm seeing that I really like is how do you recreate that moment at the end where people sort of flock to the presenter and ask a lot of personal questions? Well, now they're chatting them in privately. So a lot of those sort of secret issues are now coming about during the training because people can ask them secretly and I can address them publicly. So I found these little moments to create serendipity in the trainings that I think, I hope, will actually continue beyond this remote work situation because I think they actually add something that we didn't have before. So I'm desperately trying to find the opportunities. But what makes me more concerned is that the training will be good, but the action and the follow-up won't happen because people don't have the opportunity to implement it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you're talking about, again, how there used to be so many impromptu connection opportunities and a lot of those have gone away. So we've got to be a lot more intentional, but also creates new opportunities for some of those conversations. You've also said that the way people connect for jobs will be changed completely and need to shift for the new remote and hybrid model. How should we think about this you know, connecting for new jobs as we go forward into this new world? You know, I think the concept will be the same, but the methods will be totally different. I mean, 70% of jobs, you know, is the famous statistic are found through networking, that somebody is going to take your resume and hand it to a human being. I don't think that changes at all. In fact, it probably becomes more important. Um, but there are two things that I think are really changing. I, I think just the numbers are changing, right? You're going to have to talk to 100 people, not 10 people, right? You're going to have to apply for 20 jobs, not one job. Um, and one of the things that's really concerning me right now is that even as the job market is getting a little bit better, even as all of you have more opportunities to hire, people are not applying because they're taking themselves out of the game because they're intimidated, because they think there aren't jobs. I just heard the CEO of ZipRecruiter speak, and he said, as jobs are ticking back up every month, applications are not following. People are just not going for it. And so my concern, and where I think career development, each of us as individuals have to really think about this, is we need to let people know you can't stop because the economy is bad. You can't stop because we're in this unique environment. You have to keep going. And the irony is there are more opportunities than ever. There are free programs and free summits and LinkedIn learning and MOOCs and you know all of that stuff is out there. People just have to take the action. And I think that's the biggest message. You can't wait for it to come to you anymore. You have to go and be much more proactive about developing your own career. Yeah, people need to be more proactive about uh, investing in learning, like you said, about going after those jobs, uh, like you said. And it seems like organizations need to be more proactive in going out and finding those great people, especially if they're not necessarily applying. 
I'm curious, especially since you often look at things from a generational angle, does that affect different generations differently where say some are maybe being more proactive than others and going out and, and trying to get those jobs? Yeah, I, I see it in a couple ways generationally. Uh, one is just experience with difficulty, right? And resilience. And I think we've heard this a lot. Oh, millennials expect to be coddled, you know, all those stereotypes, which I've always fought against. But the reality is because I've been through 9-11, because I've been through the global financial crisis, I know that you can get through these things. And one of the things that's really concerning me, I'm sure many of your speakers have talked about mental health, is just this sort of belief that you know things will never be good again, right? And we'll never get out of this and there are no jobs. And I hear a lot of university career services um, offices saying kids are not applying for jobs because they think this is a disaster. And so I think the message has to be, we've been through this before, we can't, not this particular situation, but we've been through difficult times. And where I see a lot of older job seekers and older professionals thriving is they say, I know that we'll get through this. I've made transitions before, I've pivoted before. You know, one of the things, the messages that I would give to talent development professionals though, is I think employers who are educating job seekers and their own employees about how to use their services. So for example, if you're now doing virtual interviewing, are you also providing some guidance to people on how to succeed at virtual interviewing? Some companies will actually give you sample case studies so you understand what to expect. Will you give people access to your virtual interviewing technology before the interview so that they can practice with it? I think there are things that employers can do to help job candidates and their own talent to thrive in these environments by giving a little education around the tools that they're providing. Yeah, that raises an interesting question, and this is kind of related to uh, DEI and inclusive, in building inclusive cultures, which we're talking a lot about on this summit as well. Um, a lot of that, those conversations are centered around things like gender and race, um, but there are obviously issues around age as well. And you know, when you and I first talked long before this hit, we talked about how there are four, sometimes five generations in the workforce, many decades represented, people are staying in the workforce longer. Uh, now, as we look at how we need to show up in this virtual world, do, do all the virtual tools that we use, the technology, give advantages to younger employees and cause challenges for some of the older generations that, you know, not to stereotype, but just may not have as much experience with the technology and may not be able to apply for some of the jobs or whatever it may be. It's a really big challenge. And, and you're absolutely right. We have four, sometimes five generations, the traditionalists, the World War II generation, baby boomers born 46 to 64, Gen Xers born 1965 to 80, millennials born 1981 to 96, and Gen Zs born 97 and later. You can have people 50 years apart applying for similar jobs. And as you mentioned, it's not because young people are coming in. That's always happened. It's because people are working a lot longer into their careers. A lot of people are coming out of retirement um, because they need the money to, to continue living. So we're just seeing so much change. Yes, there is a stereotype. And there's always a little bit of truth to stereotypes that older people are not as savvy with technology. But I think a lot of that is counterbalanced that a young person might be really savvy with the technology but they're not savvy with the soft skills of how to chit chat before the interview, right? Or how to answer an interview question. And so I think there are two pieces. There's the technology and there's what you do on the technology. So I see just as many young people sitting in the dark, you know, with a bright window behind them that as I do, you know, being perfectly good at understanding how to unmute themselves. So I think it's the combination of sort of traditional job search and career development tools and just kind of human interaction um, and I've actually heard it said that it's easier to teach a 90-year-old how to use Zoom 
than it is to teach a 15 year old how to look somebody eye in the eye and, and have a conversation, right? They're yeah. both really equally important skills. But I do, again, I just want to emphasize, I think there is some responsibility on the fact of, uh, on the part of employers to provide some guidance on what their expectations are because we have never done this before. And I remember many years ago, I was doing a project for a big consulting firm um, with college students and they were having a huge problem of college students ghosting their jobs, um, ghosting their job offers where they would get an offer and disappear. And it was really frustrating them. And what they realized was we need, if we want people to turn down our offers in an appropriate way, we need to teach them how to do that. So believe it or not, as part of their job search process and their hiring process, they said, if you choose to decline our offer, here is how we recommend that you do it. And they sort of made it part of their process to, in some ways, help their competitors by teaching people how to be more appropriate. Um, but I think that is something that employers can do to support professionals um, who may come to your company, but may go to somebody else. And it's just a service that we can do for people right now. Yeah, I, I like that. And the other thing I'm thinking about too is I'm going back to, I'm thinking about the first time we talked, I think you introduced me to the concept of reverse mentoring, right? And, and not only mentoring down, but that younger professionals can be mentoring up. Can organizations take more advantage of that once people are inside to help develop both sides and maybe help uh, the older generations get better with the technology as well as younger generations figure out how to look people in the eye? I love that concept. I've taken it even further because of COVID because I don't even think that's enough. So reverse mentoring or co-mentoring is when the younger person also, not instead of, but also provides guidance. It was um, really attributed to Jack Welch when he was CEO of GE when the internet was starting in the 90s. And he said, I need a mentor. I need to get me an 18-year-old intern in here to help me. Um, and he had his top 500 executives get mentored by junior people on the internet. Um, so I love that concept. I think a lot of more senior people do need uh, more junior people to advise them on, you know, what the buzz is among the young talent. But now I would take it a step further in this environment. I think as individuals, we each need what I would call personal board of advisors who represent each generation. I think everybody needs that multi-generational network. Number one, to network yourself in your company. But if you're looking for a job, you need to network in with people at all different levels of different organizations because they can be scattered throughout. Uh, just a quick story, I had a friend who plays in a poker game with people in her industry. And she said, you know, 10 years ago, all the people in the poker game would say, hey, you know, my kid is looking for an internship. Do you know anybody who's hiring? And now everybody's saying, hey, is your kid hiring? Because I need a job, right? So very quickly, the junior people become the senior people as well. Oh, I love that. And, you know, you're reminding me of a, a perfect example that happened recently. I have a good friend uh, who's probably about 15 years my senior, who has become a, a real mentor. He runs a great business and he's helped me a lot thinking about my business. And recently I realized that he needs a lot of help in terms of how he uses LinkedIn. So over the weekend I was mentoring him on social media and like, this is how you create a great post. This is how you tag people. Uh, and he had no idea. So uh, it, it can go both ways, right? Where we can always be helping each other uh, with stuff that we dive into and we can all learn about these things. It's not required by any age or you know, to get rid of those stereotypes. But let's get back to that younger generation, millennials and Gen Z. I know you've looked at those generations a lot. What do they want from organizations in general? I know we, we hate to stereotype, everybody's different, but looking at the numbers for the younger generations, what do they want and how can companies cater more to their needs in terms of developing and engaging in this virtual world? So first of all, they need jobs, right? Um, they're experiencing this crisis at a lot higher rates than other people, particularly uh, millennials and Gen Zs uh, who are black or people of color. 
So I think it's really important to have real job opportunities, real paid internship opportunities. Some companies have programs that don't actually involve a job. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, number two, often millennials and Gen Zs say in studies that they will take development over money. And so obviously everybody needs to pay their bills, but young people need development and they are incredibly attracted to organizations that are committed to training them, mentoring them, coaching them, providing feedback to them, because nobody believes they're going to work for the same company their whole career. I mean, I, I just, I think that is so gone. And so if you're not going to work at the same company your whole career, if we both agree that that is true, then the commodity is not as much cash as it is information and data that I can put on my LinkedIn profile to say that I've grown. It's bullet points for my resume. It's mobility. It's opportunity. And the final thing I think is genuine support from other human beings. I can't tell you how many millennials and Gen Zs in focus groups will say to me, I'm not loyal to my company. I mean, it's a company, but I'm loyal to my boss or I'm loyal to my mentor. And one of the words I hear a lot is lifelong colleague, that Andy, you and I might not work together for our whole careers, but I consider you my colleague for the rest of my career. And so the more that you can have real relationships in an organization um, and sponsors and mentors and coaches, I think that is so incredibly powerful. And I think one of the things we're learning by being a part is that it's the young people who desperately want to go back to the office because they want to meet people. Work is social. That's how they're going to meet their mentors. It is not old folks like us, we're happy to be at home with our kids and you know, whatever it is, but young people crave those human interactions. And so if we can't always provide them in person, you know, what, just one example, I was working with a company, it was a law firm actually, they normally give their new hires one mentor. During COVID, they've given them each four and said, we want you to get to know people at our company. Even though it's gonna be through Zoom, I want you to know you're supported and I want you to know that humans at this organization care about you. I absolutely love that. And I was going to ask you, you know, what have you seen the best companies do? What are some of the best practices out there? That definitely sounds like a, a great one right there to go back and address some of the challenges we talked about before about being intentional with building relationships, mentoring, all that sort of stuff. Any other best practices that you've seen out there organizations doing to engage and develop, especially the younger generations? Yeah, I have a couple I'd love to share. I love that one of giving additional mentors and, and buddies. Um, number one, because it helps the junior people, but let me tell you, I spend my days giving sessions to millennial new hires. If you want to make yourself feel better, go talk to someone who's just starting their career. It is so inspiring, um, their energy and their enthusiasm, so it really helps both. Um, a second practice that I've seen is manager toolkits, where organizations are really providing guidance and very, very tactical advice on how to manage remotely. They're not winging it or leaving it up to chance that individual managers will figure it out. They're saying, this is how many touch points you should have per day. This is how you should give people feedback. This is how to run a virtual Zoom meeting. This is how to be inclusive in your meetings. So really, really tactical manager advice. Um, and the third thing um, that I would say is have a morning huddle have a morning touch base with your team so that the first person somebody sees at the beginning of the day is their team. So it's not, well, here I am at my desk, you know, in my bedroom, you know, in my, my parents' house in the suburbs and I'm just starting my work, but every morning I know my team is there. I know they're available. I know we're in this together. I think that's such a small, could be five minutes, but I think it's a best practice that makes a lot of sense and it gives people that opportunity to start their day knowing that they're part of something bigger.
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And, and speaking of being part of something bigger, um, I think there's a greater desire for belonging. Uh, you know, you talked about uh, people wanting to go back to work, right? We've all known, we've known for a while the younger millennials and Gen Z uh, are the ones that have been pushing for the remote working and the flexible working, but you're saying they, they actually do want to go back to the office and they want to be part of something. There's a difference between remote working 100% of the time and flexibility. So I think millennials and Gen Zs have been pushing for flexible work, not 100% remote work. And I think my, my hope is that that's what we take away from this is everybody benefits from more flexibility, but that doesn't mean it's zero in person. Yeah, and also to touch on that topic of belonging, being part of something, there is a big movement right now uh, to create more diverse and especially inclusive and equitable cultures in organizations. And I feel like a lot of that is really being pushed by the younger generation, especially Gen Z, which I heard is also being referred to as the first minority majority generation, at least in the United States. I wonder if you could just touch on what you've been hearing and seeing there and, and how that's going to change the workforce. That's exactly right. Um, last year's kindergarten class was the first majority non-white public school generation mm. in American history. That's a tipping point. Um, we also just tipped into millennials and Gen Zs, the youngest Americans being the majority of our country. They just hit 51%. So when you look around you and you see diversity, you expect that same diversity to be reflected in the people you work with and in the leadership of your organization. And if you don't, there is a huge disconnect. And so young people have grown up with diversity around them in a way that other generations haven't. Um, and I think it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that leadership is reflective of the greater society. We all know that we benefit from diversity. Companies with more diverse boards and employee bases do better financially. So it's in everybody's best interest. Um, and I think obviously young people are so tapped into the racial justice crisis in our country so involved on social media um, in Black Lives Matter and other movements, they make no mistake, they're judging companies for how they are reacting right now to the health crisis and to the racial justice crisis. And they will remember for a long time to come. Um, and I think one of the ways to really tap into that is to tap your own young employees. Almost every company now has millennial and Gen Z employees. They will tell you how they're feeling. <laughs> they will talk up and speak up on on town halls, they are there and willing to participate. Um, and you know, I, I've, I've said this for years, but I think it's so important now. I have so many companies or, or leaders who say, oh, these young people, you know, they wanna make a difference from day one. And I'm like, that's a good thing <laughs> that they want to right, have passion right. and they want to contribute. Why are we criticizing that? Yeah. You have this, this energy source at your company that wants to, bring you in the right direction. And yeah. I think now more than ever, we have to take advantage of that. Yeah. Don't you know you have to be here 15 years before you can suggest an idea in a meeting? How uh, dare you? Things, things have definitely changed. They're changing. Oh, I love what you're talking about. Give me goosebumps. I just love change and progress and how the world is becoming a better place and how companies respond now to this social justice movement is not just about how you make your current employees feel. It's part of your brand to attracting the best employees later. I heard someone else say it recently too, that, um, that those people are going to be asking in interviews, how did you respond to the social justice movement? What does your, you know, your workforce look like? Is it inclusive? Is it diverse? It's amazing that those questions are being asked. And not just young people, of course, it's, it's important to, to so many people, but I think young people in particular will not be shy about asking those questions. And I don't wanna gloss over it, Andy, and say, everything is great, everybody's right. progressive, and you know, it's all wonderful. 
people are really struggling right now. And yeah. I think also the crisis, the economic crisis is going to hit each generation very differently. You know, if you're struggling with student loan debt, if you're living in a multi-generational home, 52% um, of young people in this country now are living with their parents. We haven't seen those numbers since the Great Depression. So there's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of challenge. So I don't want to make it sound yeah. like it's all wonderful. Um, and if you are hiring young people, please post those jobs to their university career centers, make it public. Um, Handshake and LinkedIn have done a great job of saying who's hiring now. You know, mm -hmm. if you have jobs, just shout it from the rooftops because people are, are just really, really suffering right now. We all know that, but I think it bears repeating. Yeah, you're right. There are tons of challenges out there uh, and um, a lot of people that are struggling. And you are reminding me too that I, I think the first time we had a conversation, the interview we did, we talked about how the millennial generation is the first where it's a, it's a really high percentage that, you know, both parents are working, right? Dual, yeah. dual income household. And now you've got the added challenge that for a lot of people, kids are home with them, right? Uh, you and I have both been dealing with that and many, many other parents mm -hmm. have dealt with that challenge as well. Uh, and the last thing I want to ask you about, uh, as I, I saw looking at your new book that you have some advice in there. I know you're big on turning challenges into opportunities, having that right mindset for people that are going through some of these challenges, going out and looking for the next job. Um, can you share more on that advice? I would love to, thank you for that. Um, so the new book, as I was thinking about people job hunting um, and just managing their careers right now, I kept thinking of that moment when you're driving your car and you take a wrong turn or make a mistake and that little voice on your GPS says, recalculating, recalculating. So the new book is called Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. And the idea is that we are all going to be recalculators forever now. There's so much change, there's so much disruption. But when your GPS is recalculating, it's saying you can get where you wanna go, you're just gonna have to do it differently. And so what we have to do, the challenge for all of us right now, and the opportunity is we're just gonna have to be a lot more creative. You can get to whatever your dream is, even if you don't know what that dream is, but it's not gonna look like what you thought it was going to look like. And I think we've been shedding those ideas for a long time that there's gonna be a straight career ladder, that I'm gonna move up the ranks, that I'm gonna stay in one company. You know, when I think about 9-11, when I lost my job, the hardest part of that was I loved my job. I worked for a website called workingwoman.com. I loved it. I would still be there probably if it existed. And there was a disappointment and I had to get over that to move forward. I had to find a different path because what I thought was I was gonna stay there a long time. So recalculating, pivoting, changing is scary and it might not be what you wanted, but it also means that you have unlimited opportunities. There are unlimited ways that you can go, but you have to be proactive and take that first step. And I just hope people will not be, you know, sort of frightened away from doing that because there's so much going on. So positivity, recalculation, you can reach your goal. It's just going to look a little bit different right now. I love it. And you never know where you're going to end up, right? You went through those challenges and look at you now. Uh, New York Times. I'm on, the Andy, I'm on the Andy Storch's talent show. Right. That's I right. Mean, New York Times bestselling author. And you've been on my yeah. podcast and the summit as well. Uh, and just so many great things going on. Uh, Lindsay, this has been really great. I appreciate it. We've covered so much ground in this interview. If I just look back at my notes of some of the things we talked about, uh, we talked about how the multi-generational workforce has changed in the virtual world, the challenges that the crisis creates for different generations, how COVID has changed the landscape for early career professionals, how career development has changed in the virtual world, how to break up training when going virtual, how the job application process has changed in the virtual world, how the virtual world impacts different generations that are out there, and this concept of reverse and co-mentoring, uh, what millennials and Gen Z want when uh, including real job opportunities, as you said, um, people wanting genuine support from bosses and colleagues, the concept of 
lifelong colleagues like you and I are, other uh, best practices to engage and develop younger, to, uh, younger employees. You talked about um, providing manager toolkits, which I really liked. Um, other best practices, last year's kindergarten class was the first majority non-white generation in America. Really cool, uh, the importance of turning challenges into opportunities and recalculating your career. Uh, so much wisdom in there, Lindsay. Anything else you wanna add? And for anybody that wants to go find out more about you, uh, where should they go? I just wanna say thank you for doing this and thank you to everyone for tuning in. There are so many resources out there and by taking action to take advantage of them, you are moving forward for your organization. My website is my name, lindsaypollock.com. The new book is called Recalculating. It will be out in March, 2021. And again, I'm just so honored to be part of this and thank you for everything you do, Andy. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay, for everything you do. And thank you so much for being here. And for all of you who joined us, uh, watched or listened to this session, thank you so much for being here, for being present. I hope you took a lot of notes. Remember, write down what are those one or two key takeaways, those things you wanna go do differently, or stop doing or start doing, put down a goal, take some action, like Lindsay said, be intentional. Don't let these challenges get in your way. Let us know what you did. Remember, it'll be worth it to you and worth it to us if you go out and take action from this. Thank you so much again, Lindsay, and thank you everybody for being here. I'm Andy Storch. We'll see you on the next session. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.